Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you are listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find a silver lining or flip it into something that, well, may not be positive, will at least be productive. Hello, Brock. How's stuff? <laughs> stuff is stuff is good. Stuff is stuffing. Stuff 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 out, is stuffing. Stuff really be out there being like, wow, it's all here. It's all here right now, ain't it? <laughs> is it all the stuff all the time? I I saw a meme earlier today, which was just a shot of a raccoon that just looks done, just done in that way that only raccoons can look, and the caption is just, "I am so very tired." Please do not put me in a situation. I, I I think that we've done one of those rounds of the online where everything accelerated so quickly, like too quickly, too many main characters happened in too many days. And from now on, it'll always just take the, the format in my brain of who's the new Drip King from Rizzing Baby Gronk? Uh, <laughs> who's the new Ocean King from rising submarine what too many too many things happen too quickly and and we're all just like our brains aren't meant to do this but i'm gonna keep going back to the well here like i know that i i i am i am waterlogged at this point but uh i will never waterlog off uh keep keep just force feeding me whatever this is <laughs> i'm laughing because it hurts <laughs> oh yeah i i just went at time of recording about six hours ago, uh, maybe a year ago, it's very difficult to tell, it was confirmed that the new Marvel TV show has AI-generated credits. And that was like the 30th thing to happen that day. And I was just, when that came up, I was just like, sure, of course, that, that tracks. Okay. Well, that one hasn't even made it across the pond to me. Now I'm being angry in real time. This is fucking fantastic. Hell yeah, hit me, baby. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, uh, apparently the Secret Invasion opening credits, which, spoiler, look like dog shit, were generated by uh, an algorithm and by a concept house who've actually done work with Marvel before, which apparently involved human artists doing things, uh, but are being very, very cagey about whether all the artists were involved in in this this time round. I mean, it feels very stupid to say this in a week where, you know, the Riz on Baby Gronk is a thing that happened, and also five billionaires going into a tin can and apparently instantly dying was another. But sometimes you kind of look at situations like this and go, are you fully conscious when you talk? Because the, the, the pull quote from one of the directors on the show actually includes the phrase, I don't know how this process works, but it is very cool. You know what? Actually, I, I have great appreciation for that. <laughs> I mean, the honesty is kind of undeniable. Right. But I looked at that and I thought, oh, I think my soul hurts. And then I thought about it some more and I, I appreciated the honesty of it. And then I thought, if I was perhaps slightly more left wing than I am, and that's quite, I'm not sure that's possible. It is possible, but it's quite hard. If I was slightly more left wing than I am, I would perhaps look at this. Um, I, I don't know the, the, the gentleman's nationality, but. Uh, this uh, person of color director who has been wheeled out to deliver this soundbite on what is pretty blatantly a test balloon. Um, because <laughs> you, cause you do this once and you get away with it. You're going to do it every other time. And I might be inclined to look at this and go, isn't it weird how Kevin Feige, a man who never met a camera he didn't love, didn't do the press for this? Huh. 
That's funny. It is with some increasing regularity that I feel like the most prescient thing that we saw in a film growing up was in the film Johnny Mnemonic, where he has a certain number of megabytes in his brain to store things, and he tries to put too much information in there, and his brain will explode if he doesn't get it downloaded. I, I, I feel like that was supposed to be a plot point for a science fiction movie, but that's just what happens in the background of the social media site where I go to unwind during my work day now is just, um, here's all of these things and uh, it's too many things. The human brain was not built to accept them. Uh, <laughs> here we are. Uh, and, and that's just a new one. That's an, that's a, where's Kevin? Kevin can go <laughs> fuck himself. <laughs> right. Literally. And uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have the, the Blu-ray remaster of that. And we, we watched it when it came out last year and the credits rolled in Marguerite because she loves me, watched all of it with me and just looked across at me at the end of it and in the best fake Eurasian accent I've ever heard said, is Beard movie. <laughs> well, the Criterion collection would beg to differ with you. <laughs> I was insufferable when that bubble thing came out. If, if, if I could have seen it twice, I would. Uh, I was obsessed with the short little movie that played at the start forever, and I remember seeing the trailer for the first time and seeing that that moment where you know, there's there's a line with, with, which goes something like, "All right, this is going to hurt, but then it's going to work." So, or if it doesn't, well, if it doesn't, your frontal lobe's going to melt. You won't be able to remember anything for more than three minutes. And it was Henry Rollins with a shaved head, big glasses, looking intense. And I was like, okay, I'm still trying to figure out the whole sexuality thing. So this is either <laughs> going to be a fairly serious identifier, or he's my type. Either way, we need to dive in on this one a little bit. So I paid a lot of attention to that. And the eventual conclusion was, pretty solid identifier. But, you know, it was a near-run thing for adolescent Alistair there for a little while. Everyone talks about the mummy as bisexual awakening, but it is time that we bring Johnny Mnemonic into the bisexual awakening discourse. <laughs> do you have a carrying into the void for us today? <laughs> yes, sir, I do. I, I, I truly do. And this one, my friend, is a ride. Yes. So um, I was talking to a friend the other day, Mark Nixon, about some of the folks he's working with. Mark is an amazingly good writer and horror podcaster, and the most recent season of his show, Shadows at the Door, is co-hosted by, as they all are, by fellow uh, buttery man-voiced character actor David Alt. And they have this recurrent thing where a lot of the time it's individual stories, but they have a recurrent character who shows up at the top and bottom of each season called Professor Troughton, played by David. And Professor Troughton is just the living avatar of having the worst fucking time. He's so much fun. Because he is a, a paranormal skeptic who is handed pretty undeniable proof in his first appearance of the paranormal. And his response is, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> and and the, the arc across the Professor Troughton episodes is him trying to understand this. And in some cases, trying to understand it to death. So he's he's a really good time. And season three has just launched. And the first episode, as they often do, is a Professor Troughton story. And they've got Sasha Dewan in a fairly pivotal guest role. For those of you who don't know, Sasha Dewan was one of the bits about Iron Fist that didn't make people sad. And he is the second best incarnation of the Master ever from Doctor Who. And he's just one. Mark has this ridiculously good stacked bench of guest stars this year. In fact, the, the, the note I have here is 
Season 3 is rammed so full of guest stars that it would make CNC Music Factory's breakout hits things that make you go, how? Not, hmm. Which is a joke that's just for me. <laughs> Apparently not. You wrote that down. I wrote that down. I'm you so proud of down. me. Uh, I, I, I know I don't have uh, the hip-hop air horn I used to have in drive-time radio. Where is that button when I need it? But uh, <laughs> You wrote that oh. down. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> uh, amazing. So, not, not unreasonably, I asked Mark how he got a lot of these folks. And it turns out, it, he just asked. Because he's really disarming and honest. And he, and he basically said, look, I, I just... Said, look, I don't have very much money. I'm a podcaster, but I really love horror. And I know you've done a lot of horror stuff. Would you like to come and do an episode? And most of the folks he asked went, yeah, okay. And he also used a phrase that really stuck with me. He said, a lot of these people are sending the elevator back down. And that kind of hits me where I live, where I want to live a lot of the time. Community isn't just a five-season TV show. And the season I ignore is, I promise, not the one you think. It is the questing beast in nerd spaces. It's the thing we all chase. It's the thing everyone thinks we have. And not a tremendous amount of us do. And that idea of community got me thinking about an angle for this episode. And it being Pride Month, I started digging into some of the interesting things, interesting kind of subcultures that have grown up around Pride Month and grown up in LGBTQIA plus spaces. And that, as very nearly everything in human history does, brings us to potlucks. And specifically, lesbian potlucks. Because while nerd spaces tend to stand around and gatekeep, lesbian spaces have been doing community building since the 1950s, if not before. And I found a really good article on Atlas Obscura that covers this under their Gastro Obscura section. And there's a quote from it that, that really kind of hit me. And it's this. We have this joke in queer soup nightland that we're not a potluck, Alpin says. But it's no wonder the trio's friends were expecting collective cooking. Potlucks have been a hallmark of queer women's spaces since the 1950s, when the Daughters of Bilitis, the U.S.'s first modern lesbian organization, began meeting in secret over coffee in San Francisco. Nowadays, the potluck is synonymous with lesbian tradition, so ubiquitous that lesbians have been known to potluck everything from protests to sex parties. Shared cooking and shared eating has been a part of everything from secret 50s meetups and 70s separatist communes up to the present day. And, and I gotta say, that really resonates with me because when I'm depressed or when I'm stressed, I eat my feelings. We all do. And the idea of that being not something which you do individually, but something which becomes a means of building community is kind of amazing. And it also, this is where things become a ride. It also leads me to the Liam Neeson movie, The Grey. If you've never seen The Grey, it is a film that was billed as Wolf Puncher. And in fairness, that does happen. It does deliver on the promise, yes. No, yeah. no five out of five promises delivered. <laughs> but it's also a deeply sincere and often very sad exploration of masculinity in the face of destruction. And what causes that destruction and the peace you find on the other side of it. it I think it's really good. I think it's a, it's, it's a legitimately great movie. It's definitely Neeson's best work. And if you haven't seen it, I promise you'll only watch it once. It, it's kind of one of those. But the connecting line here is, is a line that he utters towards the end of that movie, which is, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And that feels like a rallying cry for every possible tear of marginalized space, whether you're talking about a subreddit or a zine community or a lesbian potluck or anything else. The article I quoted, by the way, is actually 
goes into some detail about the Daughters of Bilitis, who began in 1955. And that was kind of a meta potluck. It was a singularity around which countless other events formed and continue to form. I'm a firm believer in the idea food is magic, and I'm even more of a firm believer in the idea that food is the shortcut to community. And the Daughters of Bilitis and everything that's followed them are, for me, proof. Marcia Gallo, a professor at the University of Nevada, wrote a history of them, and this is another quote that kind of jumped out at me. Some women were very accomplished, some women were struggling, many of them felt like they were the only ones. And she goes into detail about how the varying levels of skill on display in the cooking became something which brought a lot of feelings of inferiority and problems with self-worth out, and kind of flattened them out. Because when you're at a potluck, everybody's brought food. And everybody's going to be good at different things. And everyone's going to bring different things. That feels like community to me. This wasn't just the daughters, either. And it does have to be said, as is always the case, this particular singularity is a ragged and unfortunately very often racially motivated line. Lani Soul founded Queer, Vegan and Melanated because she didn't see her beliefs or her culture reflected in the food being served at these kind of events. And... Again, that organization is just one of dozens who've gone off and not seen what they want in their community and built it themselves. And that brings us back, like I say, to community. Because in the end, everyone deserves to be seen. Everyone deserves to eat. Everyone deserves a seat at the table. Organizations like this and the activism born around these tables shouldn't have to exist. But if the singularity is a ragged line then utopia is always the destination for that line, and it's always on the horizon. It's a long way to go. It's a long way that we've come already. But organizations like these, and the simple act of bringing food together to eat, embody community in a way that ensures that most of us won't get there alone. And we certainly won't get there hungry. Yes. So I've, I've rediscovered my deep-seated love of, of Gastro Obscura, because they it was a project that was initially initially seemed to be pitched as, hey, come and look at this weird food. And it's actually, food is the core to all human history. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> food is the Stargate. Sorry. Uh, this, food is uh, the this Stargate. This mystical yeah. got off track at some point. My <laughs> so yeah, potlucks, they're kind of awesome. I think I'm going to one next weekend as well. It's, in fact, I am. I will be one of the two token Brits. I'm so excited. We have a couple of friends one of whom has just moved here to be with her husband, and another one of whom is one of the coolest human beings I've ever, ever met. Griff is a non-binary acrobat and actor and voice actor and just a phenomenal human being. And they have bonded heavily with Marguerite over being three Americans trapped on an island made of salt, bigotry, and rain. So whilst... <laughs> Whilst the weather is, is marginally salvageable, they're going to make a lot of Mexican food. Myself and Bryn, uh, Autumn, the, the third lady's husband, are basically going to sit in the corner and go, we can have more tacos. I know. <laughs> I, I desperately want to be at this party. <laughs> I, I will send so many photos, I promise. Well, the AP told me this week that uh, it's no longer in style to use the word turf, so I don't know how to refer to your country. Turf Island is not something I can print in AP anymore, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to book a ticket there. AP style prevents me. <laughs> I I have been referring to it as Jurassic Park for bigots, or um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the kind of quite commonly accepted ones is Normal Island, as in having a, <laughs> Normal Island's having a normal one. 
a normal island. I can fuck with that. That sounds good. All right. All right. I can do that one. Cool, cool. Do you, do you have a caring? I do. Riots are hungry work. Anger, as the man once sang, is an energy. But it also needs some fucking carbs, man. Work out your plan. Build your to-do lists. Make your action points. Carry them out. Hydrate. And for the love of God, eat something before you do. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> what do you have for us this week, Brock? Uh, this week I've got the Parker Lake Wampus Cat. This is instantly my favorite thing. Please tell me all about it. It's not real. It's not a thing, it turns out. Which we have never, certainly, on this show, uh, spoken of a cryptid <laughs> that doesn't exist. Uh, I was in a car with a friend the other day, and uh, she was just telling me uh, she's from a place called Parker, Kansas. And she was like, yeah, as a kid, we got assigned to like do a report on an animal. And my mom encouraged me to do one on the, the wampus cat that lives in Parker Lake. And... Uh, I had not previously known that Wampus Cat is a type of cryptid. This is a first time for me, Brock, hearing about it, but especially for my friend, Jeremy, as a child, hearing about it was just like, okay, so there's like a cat that lives in Lake Cool. I, you, you, an adult, have told me to go do my homework about this. So proceeded to try to do a school report on the Wampus Cat of Parker Lake and, uh, I came home from our conversation. I was like, I wonder if her mom got that from a thing. Like, I, I because in our discussion, I was like, <laughs> I want to know what it looks like. So, in looking around, I was like, oh, Wampus Cat is actually a thing from American folklore, really heavy in, in like Southwest. Uh, it sounds like it's something that they were like, it's, it's sort of like a creature that hunts around camps at night, but that in Cherokee legend, uh, the monster is a cat-like embodiment of a female onlooker cursed by tribal elders and punished for hiding beneath the pelt of a wildcat to witness a sacred ceremony. And that sort of thing seems to permeate where it exists elsewhere in popular culture, like it was adapted into a creature, the wampus cat, uh, for uh, Dungeons and Dragons. In the 5th edition, Tome of Beasts, they appear as female mountain lions with the heads of humans, and they are created through curses leveled by shamans upon women who practice forbidden magic. They despise all men, especially holy men, shaman, and priests, who they consider uh, responsible for their fate. So I, I did love finding this creature type and understanding that throughout all folklore, history, pop culture, it's always just a woman that's been given a, a little slap on the wrists there and turned into a cat for overhearing some shit that she was not supposed to be privy to. It's a very fun creature origin story, and anything that uh, traditionally across many cultures we can agree upon that it dislikes men, it is probably a friend of, <laughs> to me. I, I'm very excited. I did check in with the friend, Jeremy, uh, to be like, hey, so for the Wampus Cat, did you get as far as figuring out like what it looked like? And, and she's like... I don't know, if it lived in the lake, I sort of imagine something that was sort of like a cat, but more otter-shaped, like longer and wet and, and that sort of fur. I was like, cool, okay, that tracks like an otter cat. And she's like, yeah, and like um, cow udders. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I, how that works. It's like, not like cow-sized cow udders, but like a cat-sized cow udder. And so the idea of a very unkempt, long cat that likes water and has cute little udders uh the wampus <laughs> the wampus cat is now my new favorite thing and to know that there is one in my head 
in Parker Lake in the region is is very exciting to me. So uh, I like knowing that by the nature of creating this episode, the Parker Wampus Cat, the Wampus Cat of Parker Lake, will now show up on a Google result and future generations being fucked with by parents We'll have something to go to, and the answer is indeed uh, cat otter uh, with the tiniest little udders you ever did see. You can milk a cat, Fokker, and now there's uh, udders. Yeah, <laughs> utterly wonder, delightful. Uh, this is great. Uh, so that's that one. And uh, the caring I have to go with it is this. Well, now you've gone and done it. You went against the rules, and now you saw what you saw. You now know what you know. That's a thing now. That's in you. For all the time they spent trying to scare you away, shoo you with all the threats and the danger, all the hatred and the anger, you just went ahead and did it. Now you know what you know. If that knowledge was so dangerous that being in its mere presence was worth threatening your existence, imagine how powerful you are now that you have it. You possess it. It's it's a weapon, right? Anything that can frighten others and bend them to your will, that's not a toy. You've earned it. And of course, they think you're a monster. You look so different in their eyes. Power can bend the light. Space gives way to will. Your features are the signs of a future they thought they could avoid. And now you, and the mere implication of what you are, is a world ender. Get equipped with forbidden knowledge. That is perfect. <laughs> and I, I, I love how, once again, we have successfully combined you know get equipped with a bit of knowledge and also eat a carb before you riot fuck yeah <laughs> words to live by we are just so good at, at advice with that in mind do you have any self-care into the void that you've been practicing lately yeah actually um put stuff down just just fucking put stuff down as all of us who have to continue to exist in what I may end up referring to as this ongoing situation have to do, uh, <laughs> th there are so many things which demand your attention and your worry and your stress. About two months ago, I had this thing where something would come up and I, I would kind of very consciously go, no, I am <laughs> not thinking about that. No, it's fine. And of course, what it did is set up a house in, in the back of my brain and go, have you got any games? Okay, cool. <laughs> let, me, let, let me know. And now I find myself in a situation where if something is getting too stressful or if something's playing in my mind a little bit, I just fucking look at it. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, what's the, what's the awful thing that could happen? This. Great. It has edges. And a couple of times now, I've kind of heard this worst case scenario go, but I'm the worst case scenario. Yeah, you are. Okay. But you should be worried. Why? Oh, oh okay. It is not a perfect process at all. But I'm working on letting stuff go instead of putting it in boxes. And it's going quite well. How about you? I like that. Uh, yeah, I'm the worst case scenario. Yeah, I know you little shit. I recognize you. I know your shape now. You're, you're familiar to me. That's that's a that's a good dismissal. My, my advice was directly the opposite of yours at the beginning and then became the same as yours. I might just pick it up. Pick it up and look at it. Uh, have a friend, the same friend who uh, brought up the Wampus Cat, who had been talking about rediscovering a sense of childlike wonderment in their life and, and wasn't really sure where that was coming from. And I was like, oh, because you're like present and here for things. And um, you seem to be taking time to just like think about what you do and appreciate that, like uh, which, uh, you know, being a kid, you experience things and there's a wonderment because you're like, this is all cool. I'm, I'm having this for the first time. What is this? There's a different version of that, I think, as somebody who finds it really cool to, like, come home from work and just go, like, 
sit outside and read a book and then later be like, isn't it cool that I came home and just sat down and read a book? Like last night I read a book and just sat outside. It was fun and pleasant. And I remember that my brain felt good and the ability to take a few seconds outside of a situation to appreciate what you did. The idea in my newfound sobriety of remembering what I've done the night before and not having to apologize for it first, but secondly, being able to just be like, I'm glad that I did that. And like, it doesn't have to be stuff that's progress on a project. It doesn't have to be stuff with a net good. It doesn't have to be anything, but to be able to be like, Oh, I, uh, I'm very glad that I cooked that, that I read that, that I sat and did nothing in that time when I deserved to sit and do nothing the the ability yes. to appreciate it in a in a secondary moment feels so rewarding and so i i do find that i'm making a reward feeling exist from stuff that i've already done and that's new to me because normally work very very hard on a thing and as soon as it's done i am immediately disappointed in myself for not already being done with the next thing so any sort of pause in life to appreciate is already big for me but to be able to do it for I just took some time and wasn't on a phone and existed and vibed with the world. And outside of that moment, I am remembering that that was good and kind and I should do it again. Uh, it is both helping to drive future choices in terms of good brain things, but also just a little perk in my day to be a, a little happy about almost nothing. And if that's given childlike wonderment in a new form, it is nice to be like, well, even a child couldn't experience that because they would have no ability to appreciate in the way that I do as an adult. It is weird, though, that now the things that I want to take time to appreciate are the things that I did at like 12 and 14. Like I did uh, Sidewalk Shock yesterday. That fucking slapped. That was so oh, great that, and good on me so for cool. doing that. Right. I was just like, OK, I worked really hard in my teens to try to be 21 and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, I would like to be 11. <laughs> I would like to be a baby again, but not a baby baby. But like, I sidewalk chalk. Give me that. So that is my self-care to the void. 100%. I back that 150%. <laughs> my, my version of that earlier today, Hasbro have just released the first pictures of two Transformers I've wanted for ages. And I'm like, yeah, I'm having them. They're not stupid prices. Cool. So that that's a... <laughs> police car lady and a non-binary robotic owl heading towards my shelves fuck yes let's do this i love them i would die for them yes but also a cab i'm so sorry to that car <laughs> <laughs> oh we don't have time to get into the discussion about whether they've used <laughs> the, the, whether they've used the right remold for her uh, just oh boy you know what i'm just gonna later i can't wait to appreciate this moment with you <laughs> <laughs> where could people find you this week brock i'm at brock wilbur on all the places that exist for now we'll see what we do after this uh, where can people find you i am at alistair stewart on twitter and alistair stewart dot wandering shop on mastodon and blue sky i think is probably on the way my website is alistairstewart.com my pop culture newsletter the full lid goes live every friday and that you can access that through my website 
And uh, the full lid is where we're going to put the show's extension of pop culture recommendations. It already exists, and it's great. It's very good at what it does. Uh, we're trying to get back to shorter episodes like we used to do. So uh, if, if you didn't hear us talk about a video game you're not going to play this week, uh, then that, that's where that lives. So <laughs> Awesome. Right. Please look out yourselves, folks. Please hydrate. Please. No submarines. You're better than that. And uh, Hydrate, the... but not that hard, fellas. Hydrate. No, not like that. And remember, <laughs> keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>